It's episode number eight of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back for yet another episode of the Keto for Women show. Thank you as always for joining me once again to chat about us ladies and how we can make keto work for us. I hope you all enjoyed last week's episode. I know I loved it and listened to it several times. We'll probably go back and continue to listen to it several times. Such a good episode and so many good knowledge drops from Jackie. So if you haven't listened to that, head over to episode number seven and just be prepared to be floored with so much amazing information specifically for us women. Before we get into today's episode, let's uh, give you a little sneak peek of what's coming up. So today we will be doing some listener q and I'm hoping to try to rapid fire some of these things, but if you know me, then you know that I'm not super great at rapid fire because I talk too much. So we'll see if I still talk too much today or if I can actually get through all these questions. These are all questions that have come from you. A lot of them are repeats, so multiple people asking the same question. And so I thought that it would be good to have an episode to kind of get through some of these uh, pretty general questions as quickly as we can to clear all that up. Um, before we move on to more specific type questions. So that will be today. And then over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to have a guest talk about keto for uh, mental health, specifically Alzheimer's and um, prevention and treatment of Alzheimer's, which is amazing, but also going in and talking about depression, anxiety, and those kinds of things, which I find fascinating that we can heal something like that just by switching to a ketogenic diet. I also am going to have my first of many real life interviews. So when you uh, see the episode and it says real life keto, that means it's an episode with just just a gal like you and I who have maybe has or has not had the keto diet work for her and maybe specific things that she is or is not able to heal with it. But just I want to have real people come on the show who have tried it and had success or maybe are still working on finding their version of keto and maybe it's something I can give advice for or maybe just chat about. Uh, But I'm really excited to have those because I feel like while they may not be quote unquote experts, I still feel like there's so much info to gain uh, from listening to someone's real life journey to getting into ketosis and having it work for them and their families and all the things that go into just real life, you know, when we all have to live our real lives and figure out a way to to make it work for us. So that will be coming up in the next few weeks too. I'm really pumped for that. So be on the lookout for that real life keto episode because that's what that will mean. Okay, before we get into these rapid fire questions that I'm going to be trying to do, let's uh, just give you some reminders. I'm going to do this pretty much every show at the beginning for a while just until we really get a handle on where the best place is to reach me and, and chat and that kind of thing. So 
First of all, if you have a question for the show, email that to info at ketoforwomenshow.com and that will get on the list of possible questions for the show. If you are interested in the Fat Burning Female Project, the next round starts September 18th with enrollment starting September 6th and that enrollment goes fast, let me just tell you. So you'll want to have that date in your calendar, September 6th. Uh, for the next group of fat-burning females, and you can head to bit.ly slash fat-burning female for more information on that and to get on the email list to get notified when that uh, enrollment does open. So that's bit.ly slash fat-burning female for that. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, you can go to Instagram and look up Sean Minor Health, or you can go to Facebook and search Sean Minor Health. I think it's holistic health over there, maybe, and you will find me. Either way, you'll find me, uh, and you can follow me over there and um, see what I'm eating, what I'm doing, all that good stuff, how my plates look on a daily basis for my personal keto journey, and it's really fun in both of those places, so find me over there, and then, of course, if you need more specific help than maybe the fat-burning female project can do for you. Uh, you can always head to my website and learn about what it takes to work with me one-on-one, and that would be something you would be interested in if you are looking for functional lab testing and uh, consultations around that, so really digging into the root cause issue. So again, you can go to seanminer.com and go under work with Sean to find that info. I know this is totally repetitive, but I'm still getting um, some random people not knowing where to go for other specific topics. So I have to keep saying it. And I know it sounds like repetitive, but there are people listening for the first time. So it's really important that I make sure everyone knows where they should go to learn more about what I do and, and what I offer. Okay. Okay. So, but I made it as quick as possible. Just like that. So we can get into the heart of the matter here today, which are these questions. So we're going to do, I'm going to read some questions, although I will say that there is, like I said, more than one person asking these questions. Uh, I just picked one to kind of start the conversation, but uh, in a couple, there's multiple names attached to this question. For instance, like this first one. Hi, Sean. Thank you for your podcast and the work you do. I am a vegetarian and would love for a show on how the keto diet could work for someone who doesn't eat meat. Specific guidelines on what to eat, etc. How to adapt it to work for vegetarians. I eat eggs and cheese. Thank you. That's from Lacey, although Catherine, Maeve, and Chelsea all had similar questions. So lots of people out there trying to do keto and being vegetarian, which I actually think is totally possible. Um, I will say right up front that I don't condone uh, vegan diets. Vegetarian, I think I'm a little bit more okay with, but I do, I am in the camp of people that believe that there are specific vitamins, including these really important B vitamins, that you can actually only get in their absorbable, usable form from animal products. So I am in that boat. Don't hate me if you're a vegan. I don't hate you. So let's all just get along. We can all live in this same glorious world, I promise. But that I just want to say that uh, uh, first and foremost that I really do believe that the healthiest diet is one that does contain some really high quality 
uh, properly raised and prepared animal products. Getting that out of the way, as far as vegetarianism goes, because a lot of vegetarians still do eat cheese, eggs, um, sometimes seafood, those kinds of things, I think it is very easy actually to incorporate a keto diet and stay within those parameters as well. I mean, if you follow me at all, then you see that, yeah, I do eat eggs and meat, but my plate is primarily vegetables. So that's entirely what my keto diet looks for me. I think that that's kind of one of the misconceptions about keto is that when you turn to a keto diet, all of a sudden you can't have any veggies or your veggies have to be very moderate. And I don't believe that is the case. I think that uh, there is still plenty of room for all the vegetables. I think that makes for a really balanced, nutrient-dense, health-promoting any diet, but specifically keto diet, because that's what we're here talking about. And so you will notice that my plates are always really, really vegetable dense. And then there's a small amount of protein or there's a couple eggs. Um, But even, you know, my dressings and how I cook my vegetables are often in avocado oil or coconut oil or my dressings are all avocado based. My homemade mayo is my favorite thing and that is avocado oil and eggs. So that's my primary source of fat right there. Uh, I also put avocado on my vegetables and I cook, I saute my veggies in coconut oil quite a bit. Um, Sometimes I use butter or ghee too, which may or may not be part of your vegetarian diet, but I think if you could add that, that would be really helpful. Uh, So there is definitely a way. I mean, there's lots of fats that are plant-based, you know, even nuts and seeds would be a really good option for you too. And coconut, you know, coconut flakes and shredded coconut and coconut oil and coconut milk. I mean, I feel like my personal keto diet is almost vegetarian besides the fact that I have some portions, like two to three portions of meat a day. That's really it. Everything else is very, very easy to be kind of either one. Um, If you're vegetarian, I really, really, truly think that if you can have a couple servings of eggs per week and a couple servings of fish per week. I think adding cheese is awesome too. Some really good raw grass-fed cheese would be a phenomenal option as well to really get the nutrients up. So as you all know by now, on episode eight of the Keto for Women show, I'm all about nutrient density. And so my biggest concern is I really want you to be able to get the variety and amount of nutrients that you need to make your diet really balanced and really health promoting. And so that would be my wish for you as a vegetarian is if you could find a way to incorporate some fish, uh, that would be amazing. Or at minimum, get some eggs and cheese in there, which I know you say you do. I know there are probably some vegans listening. And if that's the case, um, that's a little harder to work around because I know that vegans don't do fish or eggs or cheese, uh, you can still find some, um, like I use vegan cheese all the time. I use two different kinds. One is an almond 
based and one is a cashew based. And so um, there is that option too. I'm not one that uses a whole lot of dairy myself. So there are definitely ways around that. I think that's another misconception about keto is that it's high dairy. And that is not the case for me and a lot of my friends and people I know out there doing keto. It's not a dairy based plan whatsoever. I just, I do okay with dairy, but get it gets to a certain point and I don't. My skin starts to suffer or my digestion starts to suffer. My body just tells me like, okay, that's enough cheese for one day. So uh, I prefer to just keep it minimal um, because also of my past diagnosis of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. That is one uh, see, now I'm getting on this tangent. This is why I can't, <laughs> this is why I can't do um, rapid fire Q&A because it reminds me of other things. So now all of a sudden I'm talking about dairy, but here, let me just say real quickly, if you have Hashimoto's, it is probably in your best interest to stay away from dairy. Uh, I can talk more about that in another episode when I'm not talking about veganism, but just, just know that. So that's another reason why I stay away from dairy. But Um, I also think that being vegan and being keto at the same time is totally possible. Again, I just would love to see something in there like a fish or a or eggs or something. But I know that that's not going to happen for many vegans. But I don't think that it needs to be exclusive one or the other. I think you can we can have lots of vegan keto people. I think that's totally possible. So let me know if there is anyone out there that does it and has success. I think that would be an awesome interview to have um, because I think it would just open the door to other possibilities. Okay, moving on. So two people asked about this. Both Bonnie and Kristen asked about the difference between ketosis and being fat adapted. This is Bonnie's question. Hi, Sean. Can you talk about the difference between being in ketosis and being fat adapted? I heard Jimmy Moore talk about it on his podcast, and I didn't realize there was a difference. Also, and I think this is a related question, can you eat high fat, low carb, and still be in a healing diet without being in the ketosis range of 0.5 to 3.0? I find that some days I feel really good, but my reading will be at 0.4, so it confuses me. Also, I don't want to be obsessed with testing. I would rather go with how I feel day to day. I'm constantly checking in with myself and must say that I feel so much better eating this way, whether I'm in range or not. Am I still on the road to healing when I'm not in range? I have a feeling I'm eating too many carbs from nuts, seeds, and certain veggies and not enough fat. Can't seem to get enough fat into my already fatty meal. Okay, so that was from Bonnie. Kristen had a similar question. So let's just talk about this. What is the difference between being in ketosis and being fat adapted? So they are actually two different things. Uh, One can be there without the other, which is good to know, but I think it's important to distinguish the two and for you guys to determine where you want to be. So when you're in ketosis, we've talked about this many times before, you are producing ketones. So we have those ketone bodies that are basically sending signals to your body to use fat as fuel. Those signals are created when there is such a low amount of glucose running through your body that it basically signals this kind of like glucose starvation, although it's not like that, but just think about it that way, where there's such a lack of glucose that ketones 
are being produced, which are the signals to use fat as fuel. So ketones are those signalers. Now we are also know, and we've had many conversations about this already, how healing ketone bodies are. So there's so much more than just these signalers to use fat as fuel. Ketone bodies are very anti-inflammatory. They're very immune system regulating. They help build and produce mitochondria. There are so many different uses and healing properties to ketones. Now, when you're fat adapted, that basically is, it's basically a state of being where your body knows that in the absence of glucose or when there's not enough glucose coming in to produce its energy, it can also use fat as well. So this is really kind of a learned process that happens in your body. I personally think the best way to become fat adapted is to be in ketosis. But then, for instance, you can be out of ketosis and still be a fat adapted person, if that makes sense. I will say this, I'm not fully convinced that you can be a fully fat adapted person without having been in ketosis ever before. I think because ketosis requires this enzymatic change, it it requires mitochondria to change, then that's kind of what signals this fat adaptation that can happen. Um, But I just don't quite understand yet how you can be a fat adapted person without having ever been in ketosis. I think that that's really a kind of kickoff point. And it's not like you have to be in ketosis forever to be fat adapted, but I think ketosis really is the way to kind of get yourself there and know that you are securely a fat adapted person. Now, I think the question from both Bonnie and Kristen arises because they're wondering if they actually have to do a ketogenic diet. Or can they get just close enough and and kind of get their carbs low enough to be a fat burner, but not be in ketosis? And I mean, the short answer is yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be in ketosis to be a fat burner once that process has been learned. So your body has to learn that. And like I said, I think ketogenic diet for couple months maybe would be the best way to do that because you're teaching your body that it can produce ketones when needed and use fat as fuel. There also would be like for instance in Bonnie's case where she's reading a 0.4 so she's not technically in nutritional ketosis on the the range of, of blood testing which is 0.5 to 3.0. So she's not technically in ketosis but because her carbohydrates are low enough to produce that 0.4, she's still a fat-adapted person. So she's still producing enough ketones. Her carbohydrates are still low enough that her glucose response and her insulin response throughout the day, based on the foods that she's eating, is not high enough for her to become a sugar burner and for her to go into that realm. So that's where, uh, yeah, there is still this ability to be a fat burner and not be in ketosis. And the cool thing is that I really think that when you say that someone is fat adapted or a fat burner, then that really means that they have the ability to kind of do it all. You know, if they have this day where they're eating all the carbs and uh, their body is going to know, okay, I have lots of glucose to burn through here. But then once that's done and the next day you go back to eating a more fat adapted approach, then I know how to make that switch. So instead of 
calling on you to be here like glucose, 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 and for you to have to go back through the whole keto flu and to be hungry and to feel weak and all this stuff that happens when we make this transition the first time, you won't have to do that again. So I think that's what's really nice. And so that's where um, being fat adapted has such benefit. The only thing I will say is that, like I mentioned before, the ketones are extremely healing. They have a lot of healing properties that we really can benefit from if we're trying to be in this healing diet by producing ketones. So it kind of depends on the person and what you're trying to heal because, you know, if you're just looking to maybe go a little longer between meals and uh, have stronger workouts and and maybe not a whole lot more, if you just want to feel more like a fat burner and have more energy maybe, then, uh, you know, getting into a keto state for a specific period of time, whatever you determine, and then being okay with just being, you know, in this fat adapted state, but maybe not producing ketones all the time, that's fine. That's great. And especially if it causes you more stress to try to figure out what your ketone levels are, and that's the hard part about all of this, then probably not worth it. Now, if you have more healing to do, Because here's the thing, as a fat-adapted person, you're getting your carbs low enough that you're also still working on healing your blood sugar. So your blood sugar is going to get some healing benefits from that, right? So you're not giving yourself as many carbs as you normally would. You're still on that baby roller coaster, as I like to think about it. Now, it may take a little longer to heal that blood sugar. Uh, It may require a little more tinkering. Than, than if you were in full ketosis. But like I said, if it's easier for you, if you can get through the day with a little less stress and not worry about uh, your carb intake or testing or whatever, if it's less stressful for you to just be fat adapted and work on this healing stage a little slower, then that's okay. But if you want the amazing healing benefits of ketone production, then you have to be in ketosis. And so that's where things get a little sticky. You guys have to decide what is best for you. And obviously, in ketosis, you're getting your carbs down just a little bit more than probably fat adaptation and or maybe you're increasing your fats more and moderating your protein more. You know, there might be some more tinkering happening with the diet to get you into ketosis. Um, And the same healing benefits are going to happen as fat adaptation. It's just going to be that much more so, plus the additional healing benefits of ketones. So we really, you know, I feel like most of us are going to find a lot of benefit being in actual ketogenic state. But, you know, what if it's just not the right time or if it's causing you a lot of stress or you're not quite sure what you're doing wrong or X, Y, Z, then give it a little bit of time. You know, give yourself some time to figure it out and don't stress about it and know that you're still in fat adaptation mode. We just want to decide for ourselves whether that's enough or whether you want to go into full ketosis. And like I said, I mean, it's probably very possible. I just, for me, what makes sense in my head is to get into a ketogenic state for a short period of time at minimum to teach your body how to be fat adapted. Like I said, you probably can do it without, but I just, 
I just can't wrap my head around that. I think that ketosis is going to be the best way to teach your body how to do that, whether you stay there or whether you go back and just do fat adaptation. I hope that made sense. I have a feeling that just made things more complicated than ever, but let me know. We'll figure it out. Okay, moving on. I don't have a name for this one, but we have a really great question that's going to talk about fasting, and this is a great topic. Hi, I love your show. I would love to hear a show on fasting for females. I'm currently doing fast with a long-distance program with Dr. Jason Fung, but sometimes I question why fasting? Why can't I just eat keto and not fast? But all that I've read says you needed to fast to get your blood sugar down. My fasting blood sugars in the morning are between 150 and 175, and I do need to lose about 50 pounds. I've been eating keto for three months. Just curious what your take is on fasting. This is a great question. So excited for this question, um, mainly because I have had my own personal experiences with fasting, and I do have some, I guess, probably opinions, but also I just feel like I got some pretty good information um, just from my own experiment, I guess, and so now I can share that with you guys. Here's the one thing about fasting that kind of drives me crazy is that this is another misconception, like a big, huge, giant misconception in the keto community, which is that if you are keto, you also need to fast. And those are not together. They're not the same thing. You can be keto and not fast at all, which is what I do, uh, or you can fast and not be keto. I mean, most of the time you are going to start producing ketones, but still, we can think about them separately. And I think that that's really important. But right now, I feel like in the keto community, there's like this huge thing where if you're keto, you only eat two meals a day or maybe one meal a day. And I just don't agree with that. I think that there are definitely people that are thriving and should fast. But I also think that a lot of us aren't ready to fast. And so let's talk about that because this is, I just feel like already I'm going to be on a tangent, but let's talk about this a little bit, shall we? Um, So I think how this all came about, mainly one of them is because, well, I think there's probably a couple reasons. First of all, when you are keto adapted, a lot of times you don't get hungry. So we just don't have that same level of hunger that we're used to having when we were sugar burners, right? So there is the possibility to go five, six, seven hours in between meals and like kind of forget to eat. And I've done it. I've absolutely done that. And just honestly, completely left my house and was like, oh, I forgot breakfast was supposed to be happening and, you know, had to eat after my workout. That has happened numerous times. So I think that that is one reason why we tend to consider fasting part of keto. I think another reason is just because, um, you know, we have some really big names in the keto community that swear by fasting and for good reason. And here's the deal. Fasting is an amazing healing tool. It is a tool in your toolbox in all of our toolbox, as is keto. Keto is the tool in our toolbox. We have all of these different things that we can try to heal our bodies. Now, that is the, the main goal here is that we need to heal. And there are specific things that each one of us is working on healing, and they're all different. 
right? So um, I'm going to just give you my personal story because I think this will help move the move it along. I had severe inflammation. I had severe leptin resistance. My immune system was totally shot. And these were my big ticket items. These were the things that I needed to heal so badly. And so I started fasting because fasting is great for all of those things. Uh, Awesome for inflammation. I also, I just needed to kind of clean out my body, which I know sounds weird, but when you learn about what autophagy is, which is basically kind of where um, fasting promotes your, kind of your damaged, used dead cells to kind of detox themselves. So you kind of get this cleanse of your bad cells and and you're only working with your nice, vibrant, good cells when those clear out. And I know that sounds, this is like the most top level that I can explain it. If you want more information on fasting, talk to somebody else. But this is my high level, how I see it as someone in this field and someone trying to heal people. So that's what I really needed. I had a lot from my past, from what I had just gone through, my entire body needed to detox from the cellular level. So needing all of those things and those being my top level needs, I decided that fasting was right for me. I had about probably two months in ketosis, I would say maybe a little less, before I started intermittent fasting. And so I would just fast from uh, 6 p.m. the night before until 10 a.m. the next day, so about a 16-hour fast. I was doing 16-8 for a really long time, and to be honest, it didn't really do a whole lot. Then I moved on to longer fasts, so I started doing 24-hour fasts. I started doing a 36-hour fast. I did a few three-day fasts, and I did one five-day fast. Uh, They all went great. They did what I needed them to do. This was actually what got me to my next level of healing was being able to fast. And the biggest transition I made was when I was doing alternate day fasting, which is basically for me, how it was working is I would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then I wouldn't eat the following day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner the next day, wouldn't eat the following day. So it was every other day I was having three meals a day. And then the rest of the time. So I was basically fasting for 36 hours in between those. And I did that for about maybe six weeks, two months. I can't quite remember. And it did what it needed it to do. And that's when I really started seeing some real improvement in my health. And just my inflammatory levels were way, way down. Uh, My leptin levels were much more normalized. So I was actually able to... Uh, start losing excess weight that I had gained for absolutely no reason. I was able to finally combat some of that. Uh, I felt really good. My mental clarity was coming back. My personality was coming back. All things that I had actually lost when I was sick. Like I had zero personality at the time. Now I'm back. But um, so it really, really worked. The problem is when I was in that time frame and when I was doing my fasting experiment, while things were going really well on some levels, there were other things that weren't going well. So my uh, menstrual cycle started getting longer. I wasn't sleeping well at all. So anytime I was fasting, I was basically getting up in the middle of the night and just lying there. So I was having real problems with my sleep. And, you know, I, 
I've heard from people that are experts that it doesn't do anything to your cortisol levels and doesn't do anything but good things to your adrenal health. And I just don't, I didn't see that in myself. Let's just say that. I did not see that in myself. I saw basically my adrenal health or my stress level increase in my body, which I mean, if you think of it as a, at a very basic level, if you're used to eating three meals a day every single day for the, your entire life, for which for me was 36 years, and then all of a sudden stop, your body is going to, you know, whether you're producing ketones or not, your body is going to see that as a stressor. Like in, in my head, that just seems like that makes a lot of sense to me, that that would be a stressful scenario in your body. And in my case, I feel like it was because the first thing that happens to me when I get stressed is I don't sleep well. That's the very first sign that I know that I need to calm down is because my cortisol levels will keep me up at night. And I felt like that was what was happening when I was fasting. And you know, the change in my menstrual cycle kind of showed that too. It showed that there was some sort of something creating a stress on my body, which was uh, making me create more cortisol at the expense of my sex hormones, which we went over in multiple episodes here now. And that's a really big thing that I will always look out for in my own self because I have a tendency to be a little bit of a stressed out person and I can't really have fasting be one of those things. And so while at the time it it was worth it because I had some bigger things I needed to heal, now that those are healed, I've taken a step back. I do not fast anymore because now I really focused on my hormones, my stress level, my adrenals, and all of those things, which went right back to being really good as soon as I stopped fasting. So it was definitely correlated to some degree. I'm still trying to figure that out, like I said, but I do believe that in my case, it had something to do with with the cortisol that was being raised because I was fasting. So that is a very long story to tell you that I think it depends on the person and I think it depends on what we're trying to heal as to who should be fasting and who shouldn't. If you have severe insulin resistance, if you have severe PCOS, if you have uh, type 2 diabetes, something pretty big that you are trying to heal that that working on your blood sugar levels would really, really benefit you. Or um, like for me, leptin resistance, I really needed to get that under control before it got any worse. If you're incredibly inflamed, I think it's an option, although I think keto is just as good for inflammation. If you have these really intense issues that need to be handled and they're the main drivers causing you health issues. Like if you have type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, that the downstream effect is of that is so great that whatever you can do to get that in control as soon as possible is worth it. And that would probably include fasting. Now, if you're someone who is looking to get their hormones in check, uh, lose some weight, um, sleep better, have more energy, thyroid issues, autoimmune issues, anything that could be triggered with a stressful scenario like hormones, autoimmune, anything like that that is very has this really big stress component, then it may not be right for you right now. 
Instead, it would be a better idea to really get a handle on keto, make sure you're fueling yourself properly, um, make sure your stress level is super even and, and you've really, really taken the time to heal your adrenals, heal your hormones, heal your autoimmune or whatever you're doing, which you can do through keto. And then if there's still this need to fast for some reason, if there's still something up else that comes up that you need to heal through fasting, then maybe it's right for you. So I think there's two different scenarios, and I think that we all need to start thinking for ourselves on those scenarios instead of having someone else tell us that we're fasting just because they fasted. You know, like Instagram, like seeing people drinking black coffee for their breakfast, it may be right for them, but that doesn't mean it's right for you. And so to go back to this question where she asked, why can't I just eat keto and not fast? So right there is just a sign that that she's not really feeling the fasting. I mean, again, a lot of people have great success with fasting, but those people really swear by it. You know, they have no problems fasting. They don't want to eat on those days. It comes really easily and really naturally to them. But if you just want to eat keto, then just eat keto. And keto is a form of fasting where we are eliminating that glucose from our bodies, which is a form of fasting, which is why we produce ketones. So we're still getting benefits of fasting through ketosis. We don't have to also fast. Only if it comes very naturally, if you feel good doing it, if it seems right for your situation, should you do it. But if you ever have to force it, if you ever get really, really hungry, if you don't want to, if it's ruining your social life, um, if you have any sort of stress barometer that you still need healing, then I think it might not be the right time. And and just just do the keto thing. The keto thing is great. And like I said, you can still do small fasts um, with ketosis, like you can do a 12 or 14 hour fast overnight, which is obviously what most of us do anyways. And we're, we're still getting the benefits of fasting, even in that short period of time. We don't have to fast for days to get the benefits. So keep that in mind that maybe, uh, um, just keep it small, focus on the keto, then see what happens and see what you need to do. But don't go thinking that because you're in the keto community, you also have to be in the fasting community. Okay, I hope I was able to clear up my thoughts on fasting. Again, I think it's an amazing tool that we have in our toolbox, but we don't always have to use all the tools right away or all at the same time. We got a lot of options, so keep your options open. Moving right along, let's talk about fat fear which I think that some of us still have, but I definitely think we're starting to break down those walls, at least over in the Fat Burning Female Project we are, which I'm super excited about. This question asks, I still might have a small fear of fat, but more so I am a math person. Fat has nine calories, so somehow we need to rebalance our plate to include more fat while maintaining a healthy weight. How can I think about transitioning a paleo plate to include more fat? Okay, so I feel like this was one question that actually had the underlyings of another deeper question. 
and that is the question of calories in versus calories out and how do we eat more fat and not get fat, right? And I've talked about this before. Um, I'm going to talk about it again briefly here and just saying that calories in versus calories out doesn't really equate. It doesn't really mean what we think it means because we were taught that if we want to lose weight, we just need to eat less than we move. And that just seems like it would make sense on a very top level, but it doesn't actually make sense because if that were the case, and I think we could all agree, if all we did was eat Snickers bars all day long, but they only equated to 1,500 calories, so let's say that's, I don't know how many calories are in a Snickers bar, but let's say that's like five Snickers, that's all you ate all day, and you worked out to uh, have burned more calories than these five Snickers bars, does that mean that you would lose weight? No, that doesn't make any sense. Five Snickers bars a day, every day, say for a year, you're going to gain weight because it is about the response that happens to the food we eat. So when you have a Snickers bar, there is no way that your body is going to make it through that Snickers bar without producing this insulin response because of this glucose that's coming in. And it's the insulin response that insulin is our fat storage hormone. So it's the insulin response that is really talking to your body to tell it to store fat, store fat, store fat. So every time we have an insulin response, that's what happens. That's where what this question is really asking is how how can we increase our calories to include more fat without getting fat? And that is because it's not about the calories, it's about that response to the food. When we eat fat, when we say go have a couple handfuls of macadamia nuts, nothing is happening in that response to that food. There is no insulin response. So there is no hormone telling your body to store fat. And that's where we can really build this nice, beautiful plate with lots of food, lots of fat, but with almost no insulin response. Instead of just eating a candy bar, having our insulin spike, storing fat, but still being below calories. Like, I hope that when you think about it in that way, then you can see that that whole calories in versus calories out myth just really doesn't make sense because then we'd all be eating Snickers and not giving a crap. And that's just not right. Can we just forget that ever existed? All I want ever is to forget that existed for all of us because then we can actually start building these nice, healthy, nutrient-dense plates of food and not worrying about how many calories exist in it and finally nourishing our bodies. And that's one of the biggest things that even now that we're in the second week of the Fat Burning Female Project, one of the biggest lessons that people are seeing, that women are seeing in this class is how long they've undernourished themselves. And that's sad. Isn't that sad? Because not only do we have to fuel whatever workouts we're doing, but we have a lot of other processes to fuel. Every single time we blink, or breathe, or think a thought, you have to fuel that with something. And yeah, it's going to be through ketones because we're all ketonians now, 
But we also need the food to do that too. We need the nutrients to do that too. I've spent so many years undernourishing myself and counting calories and not giving my body the fuel that it needs to function properly. And it led eventually to a lot of illness. So I just can't get behind this anymore because I learned my lesson the hard way and I want you guys to learn it the not so hard way, which is just by me telling you over and over and over again instead of it getting to a point of illness, okay? Um, so that being said, yeah, I, I've mentioned in past episodes about how to add more fat and it's really just about getting creative, adding those uh, sauces and dips and mayos and just add all that stuff to your plate, cook everything you can in extra fat, add butter to your vegetables, put fat in all your warm beverages throughout the day, your coffees, your teas, put coconut oil and coconut milk and all those things in those. It's really, really easy. And here's what you need to ask every single time you are going to eat, which is going to help you get over this fat fear and help you get over the calorie fear is what is the response that my body will have to this food? And here, here's our baseline. Fat has very little insulin or glucose response, like pretty much none. Protein has a moderate amount. Carbs has a decent amount. And it, of course, it also depends on the person too. Some people are going to have a really small response. Some people are going to have a big response based on the food and how your body reacts to the food and all of that stuff. But we have to have get this information for ourselves now. You have to know how you do with a banana, how you do with a sweet potato, how you do with bacon, how you do with coconut oil. But the underlying message is, overall, how is this plate of food going to affect my body afterwards? Is it going to cause an insulin spike or is it not? If it's a Snickers, yeah, it is. <laughs> if it's a plate of bacon, no, not so much. We're good. That's how you should be deciding how to build your plate, not based on the calorie content and not being scared of fat. I hope that helps a little bit. I think we could probably have the discussion in every single episode and still not totally get it across, but we'll get there slowly but surely. Moving on, another question. This is from Jen. What's your position on nuts? I start my day with a couple handfuls of dry roasted salted macadamia nuts along with my coffee and heavy whipping cream and coconut oil. In summer, especially, I often whip up my own version of a keto shake with coconut milk, unsweetened cocoa powder, half a serving of Terra organic whey protein powder, and three tablespoons of almond butter. Many days, I've eaten both macadamia nuts and almond butter, along with other foods too, eggs, kale, olive oil, whole avocados, mayo, sardines, salmon, tuna, beef, etc. But I'm pretty routinely eating these macadamia nuts and almond butter. I've heard some folks say to avoid nuts. I've heard other folks say to use them and eat them, but focus on the lower carb nuts such as macadamias, etc. Wondering your thoughts. Jen. This is a good, hopefully somewhat easy question. Um, I think that nuts are great, uh, especially if you can get some organic ones and sprout them yourselves, which to be honest, I don't even do, but that would be ideal. That just requires a little more time than I currently have. Um, But I think nuts are fine overall, but you, I'm giving you all the power yet again to decide how they work for you. If you're having these 
macadamia nuts um, in the morning and you feel really good and you're satisfied and um, there's no digestive upset or headache or anything like that, then great. Then keep eating them. Um, If you eat nuts and they don't work for you, then don't keep eating them. If they are giving you digestive upset or you're still hungry or they kick you out of ketosis or whatever other response you could possibly have when eating any food for that matter, then stop eating it. And that's really where you have the power to determine, we all do, to determine what works best for you and it's different for everybody. Jen may do really well with macadamia nuts and almond butter, but I might not. So I would not eat them. You know, we're very different people. So me putting a blanket statement out there doesn't really work. And that's why I can say I think nuts are fine. I think they're a great addition to um, a keto diet if you stay in ketosis while you eat them. But if you don't, then that's not really going to work well, right? Then it's something you would need to moderate. So just find what works for you in every single case for every single thing. And I say that all the time and it's true because that's going to be the case for every single thing you eat. Some people may do really well. Some people may not. But yeah, I'm cool with nuts. If they make you feel great, keep eating them. Okay, last one. I think we'll try to fit this one in really quickly. I'll try. This one's this one's a doozy, but I'll try. This is from Miriam. I have one question on exogenous ketones. No matter how much I read or listen to podcasts, I can't find the answer. I think that was just her question, was asking about exogenous ketones. Here are my thoughts on exogenous ketones. I think they have a purpose for sure. I think if you are someone that desperately needs to make a a lot of ketones for your healing purpose, which would be someone who has Alzheimer's, dementia, um, cancer, um, epilepsy, something like that, where you, you, the management of your disease is based on producing lots of ketones, that would be the ideal situation for exogenous ketones. Now, if you're using exogenous ketones just to get a higher reading on your ketone meter, that seems a little unnecessary, doesn't it? Because you're doing so without changing what you're doing. All you're doing is adding in this alternate source. Whereas I think for most of us, The goal is to get into ketosis on our own and to do so because we've healed our blood sugar, because we've taken out the foods that are causing us a blood sugar reaction, and we've added in the amount of fats that we need, and we're also fueling ourselves properly and all of these things that it requires to get into ketosis. So I don't want to put a negative spin on it, but it almost is a little bit like cheating in a way. Because you're not really going through the full process to get there and to produce those ketones on your own, you're kind of bumping yourself up uh, without actually figuring out why you can or cannot get into ketosis yourself. One of my biggest reasons for being such an advocate for ketosis is what it does to your blood sugar and how you can heal your blood sugar and have this nice little baby roller coaster throughout the day and not be uh, a slave to glucose and to carbs. I think that is an amazing thing that this diet does. However, if you take exogenous ketones, then you are kind of bypassing that. 
you're producing ketones, so you're you're getting ketone readings on your meter and everything's great, except that you haven't actually done the work to heal your blood sugar. So you could still be producing these ketones and still be eating that sweet potato every night that's causing your body to freak out, but yet since you have these readings and since you're getting these exogenous ketones in your body, you think all is well. So you're really bypassing one of the major reasons for doing a ketogenic diet and following it. Uh, I also think that, you know, there are some people I know that they're frustrated they're not in ketosis. So they're like, well, I'm doing everything right. I'll just take this and it'll get me into ketosis. Well, no, we you, you still can learn a lot about your body and figure out the process if you just work through it. Work through it. Take your time. There's no race. Just figure out your body, work through the process, find out what works and what doesn't for you, what foods do and don't work, what amount of foods do and don't work, if you want to fast or not. Just figure all this stuff out for yourself because it gives you the opportunity to learn about your body. And that's really, really important. Instead of just being like, okay, well, I tried to get in ketosis for three weeks and it didn't work. So now I'm just going to take these exogenous ketones. Like that's not necessarily the right way to go. I think there's much more to be said for doing the work. Just do the work. It's really fun. It's really rewarding when you do figure out your own body and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. It's really, really worth it, I promise. So like I said, I think that there is definitely a case for the exogenous ketones. I'm glad that they exist for the people that really, really need them in order to heal their bodies. Um, But I think a lot of us would do just as well, if not better, and save a lot of money just by going through the process ourselves and really figuring it out for each one of us as an individual. That's my take on that. All right. I kind of did it. I feel pretty good about that. I got through quite a few questions, I think, and hopefully that clears up some of the big ones out there. And I know we'll have more. Again, if you have a question you'd like to have answered, email me at info at ketoforwomenshow.com and I will hopefully get to that really, really soon. Thank you everyone who already submitted your questions. Those were really fun. And as you can tell, it's like my favorite thing to answer your questions. I just absolutely love it. So I had a good time today. It was great. And I will see everyone here next week. Thank you. Hey lady, do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you want to make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale, and make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be. Can't wait to see you there.